right, good. All right, so I'm, I'm thankful to be able to share today. Um, last month, uh, Tori wasn't here, so I could say whatever I wanted to, but uh, this month he's here, so I got to be careful what I say. No, Put my A game on. No, um, no, I'm thankful to, sh- to share uh, the topic tonight. Today is uh, why mission or why mission matters. And it's like something that is dear to our, my heart, my wife and I's heart. We, are, we served overseas for seven years in the Netherlands as missionaries. And, and early when God got a hold of my life, he kind of redirected my life to live on mission for him. So even before going overseas, God just put on my heart to live as a, as a man that's on his mission and uh, so I'm, I'm really excited to talk on this topic. Actually, this week, I got to sit in a conference on uh, missions, actually focused on Indonesia and Southeast Asia, and hear what God's doing around the world. God's doing great things around the world. And, you know, we don't hear, we get this media bombardment of all these negative things. And we hear these negative things about the Muslim world, but God is doing a great work in the world today. Amen. Many Muslims are coming to know Christ all over the world. There's the greatest movement amongst the Muslims, God's spirit amongst the Muslims, than there has been in the last thousand years. God is doing a great work. And so I'm fired up to share with you guys on the mission of God. And basically what I want to do, I'm going to take a big picture. So we're going to take a helicopter view. We're going to start in Genesis. We're going to look at a lot of scripture, and we're going to see God's mission all the way from Genesis to Revelation. All right, so I'm just going to tell that story with you guys. And we're going to look through a lot of scripture. You're going to have to keep up with me. Some of it's going to be on the screen. Some of it you can look in your Bibles. You can use those little U version, uh, the, the app on the U version. I don't think the, the link is up here, but it's on those brochures. If you want to put that link in your, in your U version Bible app, and it'll pull up uh, all the scriptures I'm going to use. So you can follow along those ways, and there's Bibles on the ground. You can use those. And uh, you can take those home, too, if you don't have a Bible. But let me pray, and uh, then we'll, we'll jump in. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be here and the opportunity to <clears throat> gather together and to worship you because you're worthy of our worship. You're worthy of it. You are the maker of heaven and earth. God, you're our Savior. God, you provided a way for us to be with you for all of eternity. You did that work for us, and we thank you, Lord. We thank you that we can worship And we pray that you'd speak, give me words to say, and God, help us hear what you're wanting to say to your church today, that everyone would hear from you and what you want to say to them. Uh, Give us that grace today, and we pray this in Jesus' name. So why mission? Let me start saying, why mission? Why mission? One reason is that every second, two people die in our world. Two people just died. Right? Two people just died. Two people just died. Every day, 153,000 people die. Where are they going? They're going into eternity. Right? They're going into eternity. They're going to be with God in the presence of God for all of eternity, or they're going to be in the absence of God for all of eternity, in the presence of light or in the presence of darkness. And God loves every person on the face of the earth. God loves every man, woman, and child. He loves them so much he sent Jesus Christ into the world to die for their sins, not for the sins of the whole world. That all men and women may know him. And God has a passion for his world to know him. God is a God who's pursuing this world, this broken world, that everyone may know him and not have to perish but come unto repentance. Right? We know the famous scripture in John 3, 16, God so loved the world. That, whoever, that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 
God wants the world not to perish but have a life. And God began to work a plan from the beginning of history to today, his plan to redeem a broken and dying world. And that plan began to show itself in the book of Genesis. So I'm going to tell you the story of Genesis. You can just listen with me. We're not going to, I'm going to read a little bit, but you don't have to open up and read. Because Genesis is the beginning, right? It's, it, Jesus, God says, in the beginning, right? It's the beginning. It's the history of our world. It gives us context for why the world is the way it is today. We understand the state of humanity when we go back and we understand what Genesis says about humanity and why we are the way we are. It is our history. It is our story. And so when we go back and we look at, at the, in the beginning, God created, right? He created the heavens and earth. And he created man. He created Adam. He breathed into the dust of the earth and God created Adam. And God was in relationship with Adam and God had Adam in the garden, in this place of paradise where he was in harmony with God and harmony with all things. And God told him, you know, work the ground and, and take care of it. But he said, there's one thing that you can't do. You can do everything, but one thing you can't do, you can't eat of this one tree, right? The tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of this tree, you will die. So he gives him one commandment, only one rule. It's just one, one thing I want you to trust me in, right? This one thing, I want you to trust me that this tree is not good for you and don't eat it. Just trust me in that one thing. But everything else is free. You can eat from anything else you want. Well, Adam was a little bit lonely and God f creates a partner for him out of his rib, right? He creates Eve. He gives him a partner that the two should be one and they got to enjoy all that God made, one day in the garden, there comes this serpent, right? He's craftier than any of the other animals. We come to know later that actually it was Satan in the form of this serpent snake. And he comes to Eve, not to Adam. The command was given to Adam. It wasn't given to Eve directly. It was directly given to Adam. And I guess Adam probably told Eve about it. Maybe God did, but we, the scripture doesn't tell us that. But he comes to Eve and he, he, he says to Eve, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Right? So this is what he does. This is what Satan does. He's a tricker. He's a tempter. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. He begins to sow in a little bit of doubt. Did God say you can't eat any of these trees? God didn't say that. And the woman says, oh, no, uh, we, may, we, we may eat the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Actually, God didn't say you shouldn't touch it. Right? She's a little bit confused already. She, maybe the requirements of God are more stricter than she, she, she understood them to be more stricter than they really were. So the serpent says back to her, but um, you surely will not die. You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Eve, come on. Come on, Eve. Listen, you're not going to die if you eat that. You're not going to die. Actually, God's withholding something good from you, Eve. Actually, you know what? God, he, he, he knows if you eat that, you're going to be like him. Actually, God's not really that good, but this thing is really good. If you get it, you're going to be happy. If you get it, you'll be satisfied. If you get it, you'll be like God. You'll know good and evil. So the devil is a tricker. He's a deceiver. He sows doubts into the minds of our hearts. He begins to paint God in a bad light. God's no good for you. And so she sees, oh, this looks pretty good to eat. 
It's going to give me wisdom. And she takes it and she eats it. And then she gives it to who? Her husband, Adam. Who says he's sitting there with her. Can you imagine just watching this situation go on between your wife and the, the, and, and the snake and not saying anything? Right? He's just quiet watching this go on. Sees her eat it. What went through Adam's mind? He knew his wife just disobeyed God. I don't know what was going through his mind. But I wonder if he thought, you know what? And she gives it to him. And I wonder if he thought, you know what? If I disobey God, some, 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 somehow I'm going to die. But I wonder if he, if he thought that if he, did, if he didn't disobey God, then he was somehow going to lose his wife. I think Adam chose his wife over God in that instance. He took, the, he took the fruit, he ate it, and instantly their eyes were open. Instantly they're ashamed. They realize they're naked. They're ashamed. Something's changed in the psychological nature of humankind at that moment in time. Then they hear God coming and they hide from God. They had this relationship with God, this connection with God, but now they're afraid of God. They're, they're hiding. They're clothing themselves. They're ashamed. They're hiding. This, this relationship with God has been broken. It's been damaged. The human heart has been twisted and damaged. Sin has entered into the world. Shame, fear has entered into the world. And God says, where did you guys, where are you? Why are you hiding? Did you eat of that tree? Right? God knew. And what's Adam say? Yep, God, I did it. No. He doesn't take responsibility, right? Well, well God, well, the, the woman you gave me, she gave it to me and I ate. He blames. He blames not just the woman, he blames God. The woman you gave me. She gave it to me and I ate. Come on, you know? Like, and, and, and isn't that how we are, Right? We do wrong, but we don't want to take responsibility for it. We don't want to take responsibility for the consequences of our own sin, and we blame. We blame others. We blame God. All these problems in the world is because God made this world. It's because God did it. This evil in the world is because God. We just get angry and we blame God. The condition of our world, blaming others. Watch any political debate and you'll see it. The fall of man playing out today in our world. And so there's consequences for these sins. There's judgment for them. There's curses for them. It come, God has to curse. He, he curses the, well, actually, the, the woman then, you know, he, Adam blames the woman and the woman blames the serpent, right? And the serpent has no one to blame, so he's, he's stuck. So they go through these curses, right? And, 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 and the, the nature of the curse, we're not going to go into all those today, that the, kind of the ramifications of them, but... Basically, man and woman's relationship is going to be messed up. The woman pain's going to come into the world. And there's going to be pain through childbearing. And man's relationship with creation is going to be messed up. There's thorns and thistles. It's not going to cooperate with him. And they get driven out of the garden, right? This place of paradise where they're to walk with God. They're driven out. They can no longer be in this place and walk with God in that way. And then later in their lives, they're going to die. Death comes into the world. Disease comes into the world. We see, you know, their first children, actually one of them kills the other one. You know, the first two kids in the world, Cain and Abel. Death, murder, all this brokenness, ravaged life begins to enter into God's good creation. So they have these, these curses. There's this judgment. This judgment's on the world. And there's also another curse and a judgment that's given to the snake. 
And he says to the serpent, he says to them that there is going to be enmity between you and your offspring or your seed. And this offspring, he will bruise your head or crush your head and you, the serpent, will bruise his heel. So in this story, there's a little foreshadowing that somewhere in the future, some offspring from this, this woman is somehow going to crush or bruise, stamp, stomp on this serpent's head. And the serpent's going to strike his heel and wound him, but not seeming like overcome him. God gives a foreshadowing that somehow evil will be destroyed. Satan's work will be crushed. This thing that has entered into this world, this sin and the consequences of this sin will be restored in some way. We don't know how, but there's a little hint of it in this chapter. Now, if you start to fast forward the story, right, you, you, you begin to see that God's got a plan because he loves humanity. He loves us. He wanted us. He created us to be in a relationship with him, but now we're fallen and there's all this brokenness in the world and God's going to begin to, to, to unravel this master plan to redeem and save all peoples. So in the book of Genesis in chapter 12, I think it should be on this up here, uh, verse 1 through 3, God calls Abram. God calls Abram. And he sends Abram. Abram's the first missionary. God calls him and God sends him. We're going to see that God of the Old Testament is a missionary God. Okay? He's a missionary God. He calls Abram and he sends him to this land. God initiates. We respond. It's God's plan, not our plan. Okay? God calls him. He sends him. He says, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house and to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and I'll make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Wow. That's a great promise. Isn't that a cool promise? God told you that. In you, through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Somehow God's got a perfect plan that through this man, through his his, his ancestry, his, the generations that are going to come from him, that God's going to touch and bless the whole world. That's pretty cool. And so we see in Genesis, the story starts to unfold, and his, his, his family begins to grow. And, 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 and over time, actually 430 years later, they, they grow pretty big, and they're actually now in Egypt, and they're enslaved in Egypt. And now God calls another man, Moses, Moses. He calls Moses, and he sends Moses. God is the initiator of, a mission, of, of mission. It is his plan, not our plan. It wasn't Moses' plan to go save Israel. It was God's plan. Moses responds. Moses, go, I'm sending you in to, to talk to the most powerful king and the most powerful nation on earth, Egypt. Whew, Moses is scared, right? I mean, he doesn't want to do it. I wouldn't want to do it either. Right? He, I don't want, you know, what am I, who, who am I going to say who sent me? You know, what am I going to say? I can't do this. I can't talk. And he's all nervous and scared. He doesn't really want to do it. He gets lots of excuses why. But God tells him, no, you, you're going to do this. I'm going to give you the words to say. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to do signs and wonders. I'm going to deliver the people out. You're just going to be my mouthpiece, right? 
God's going to do the great powerful work, but Moses is a representative. So he sends, he sends him in, and, and Moses says what God tells him to say, and God does this great miraculous powerful work where he delivers over a million people out of bondage and slavery. I mean, can you even fathom that? I'm over a million people rooted in this country. And God rips him out through these great miracles he does. He shows himself powerful. He says, why? So that the nations would know that he's God. There had been no powerful works like that done ex except for the creation. God shows up. He pulls his people out. He delivers them and becomes his own people, his own nation. He gives them his word. They didn't figure out God's word. They didn't discern it. God gave it to Moses for the sake of the people, that they may know his word, that they may prosper, that they may be a light to the world through his word. He's creating a nation, a people for himself. He gives them a land. And one of the reasons why he does all this, which is echoed again in Psalm 67, on the, on the screen here that was read by Huli earlier. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. This is for Israel. God, would you bless us for the sake of the world? And that's what God's plan is. But, you know, Israel starts to mess up. They screw up. They don't follow God's law. They get all broken and screwed up, I mean, like all of us are. And God sends them prophets trying to realign them back to God, turn back to God. Turn, God has a purpose for you as a nation. Turn back to him. And he begins to tell them through the prophets that actually through you is going to come one who's going to be the Messiah. He's going to become one who's going to be my servant, the servant of the Lord. And through this one, salvation will spread to the ends of the earth. Isaiah 42, verse 1 and verse 6 and 7. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. I will keep you this servant, and I'll make you to be a covenant for the peoples, a light for the Gentiles, everyone who's not Jewish, to open eyes that are blind, to set free captives from prison, to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. Amen? Well, to release, set captives free. Have we been captive? Yes, people are captive to sin. They're under bondage to Satan. But Jesus... God says, I'm going to send a servant who's going to bring, be a light to the nations. The God of the Old Testament is a missionary God. And then we see, we transition into the Gospels. We see that the Christ of the Gospels is a missionary Christ. When God sends this servant, it says in John chapter 1, verse 14, the Word, which was God, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh, Right? And he made his dwelling amongst us. This is an amazing thing to comprehend and think about. The word of God. God became flesh and blood. He took on human form so that he could relate to us. He came into our world to connect with us so that we could know God. He was the first missionary, Jesus. The first cross-cultural missionary. From heaven to earth. From a place of peace. I mean, imagine heaven. Man, to come down to this broken world, to be born in a manger, to be raised up in sin and darkness and disease all around you, and yet you're the Son of God, the living God. But he did this for us. He did this for us. 
And he was not, he didn't just do it on his own, he was sent. Right? The scriptures tell us in John that the Father sent him as a missionary to us. And we see Jesus, as he did his missions work, he was a man who was on the move, right? He didn't stay in one place. He didn't build a big church in one place. He moved everywhere he could so that as many people possible could hear the good news of, of God. He was a missionary in everything he did. In Galilee, which was the place where he was from, there was estimated to be about 200,000 people that lived in that area, about 135 villages. It's estimated that he hit every one of those villages in about one year of his ministry. That's a lot of moving. That's a lot of moving. He sent his 70 out, 35, pairs of two, 35 into those villages ahead of where he was going to go. He was moving. He wouldn't stay long. One village, they wanted to keep him. And he says, you know, we must go. I was sent for this reason so that others may hear the good news of the kingdom of God. He was on the move and he crossed borders, right? that no one would cross in that time. He was showing that God loved the people of that area, but even the people that were different than the Jewish people. One time, he went across the Sea of Galilee. He went to this place where no Jewish person would go. There was a guy who was naked there. He was possessed with demons. It was in a graveyard, and there were a bunch of pigs around. This was not a place you would find a person that was trying to follow the law of Moses. It was an unclean place. And you can imagine the disciples saying, what is this guy doing? Taking us over into this graveyard with pigs and a naked guy, you know, that's possessed with crazy demons, a legion of them. But he's sending them a pattern. He's showing them. He's trying to help their, open their eyes that they may see that he loves all people, that he came for them just as much as he came for the Jews. the Jews, He came for the Gentiles, the Sumerians. Showing them what it means to follow him. Showing them that, you know what? You, I didn't come just for the Jews. One day, they will do what he did too. Giving them a pattern to walk in. Ultimately, Jesus, and well, not just a pattern for them, but a pattern for us. And ultimately, Jesus, he goes towards the cross, right? His whole life aim directed at one purpose and one mission, to go to the cross. Why? That he may die for the sins of the world. He may die for all of us. And may he destroy the works of the devil. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, John says. He would die on the cross for every man, every woman, every child, for every abuse you've done, every abuse that's done to you, he would die. He would take the penalty of it. He would take Adam and Eve's sin upon himself and every sin from then until now so that every man and woman and child would be set free, that no one would be oppressed by Satan's grips anymore, that he would crush the devil's head and set us free, that we could live forgiven lives free from the law and the burden, the curse of judgment that we all put ourselves under because we all break it. He said, I'm going to set you free that you may live with me. But it's not just for you. It's for all men and all women. And after he rises from the dead, he gets his disciples together and he tells them a number of different times in all the Gospels actually, in Mark 16, 15, 
He says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. John 20, 21. I think this is a very profound scripture. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. As you've seen me, what I have done, I've come in the name of the Father. I've done the will of the Father. I've come for the sake of you. Now I'm sending you for the sake of others. Go as I have come. Go forth and he breathes on them to receive the Holy Spirit. They may have power to do the work. And in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, therefore, his last words to his disciples. Think about if you're you were at the deathbed of your father or your mother, and they had one thing left they wanted to say. Last time you're going to see them, they probably want to communicate the most imp- one of the most important things they could communicate to you. This is the last time he's going to see them, according to Matthew here. And he says to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of what? All nations, all ethnic groups, the whole world baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And I'll be with you always at the very end of the age. And he gives them a promise. It's not going to be on your own. You're not going to do this by yourself. This is my work. This is my mission. I'm sending you. I'm calling you. I'm sending you. The disciples, wasn't the disciples' great plan to, to follow Jesus. He called them, come follow me. And then he sent them out to do his work. He calls. We respond. So we see the Christ of the gospel is a missionary Christ, and then we see the Holy Spirit of Acts is a missionary spirit. Right away in, book, in, in the book of Acts, Jesus says in Acts 1.8, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Right? You get this picture. Jesus wants this message to go out, right? He says, you're going to receive the Spirit. Why? that you may have power. Why? That you may be my witnesses. That you may proclaim my gospel to the whole world. Yes, the Spirit is our comforter. Yes, the Spirit is our counselor. Yes, the Spirit is our helper. But the Spirit was given to you that you may have power to share the gospel. You may have power. And that is what the book of Acts is. The progression of Acts is that progression. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Right away in Acts 2, the Spirit comes. What do they do? They proclaim the gospel. Do you know how many languages they proclaim the gospel? At least 15 languages on that day. That many people were there from other languages, heard the gospel in their language. They were speaking in tongues. They didn't know what they were saying, but the others knew what they were saying and heard it. They were all in Jerusalem for a feast. 15 languages were reached right there, and they all would have gone back to their places of residence, now hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. And the Spirit enabled them. The Spirit empowered them. The Spirit guided them. The Spirit says to Philip, Philip, there's a guy over here. He's from Ethiopia. He's reading the Bible. Go talk to him. The Spirit goes, oh, Philip obeys and says, okay. He listens and he's reading something from Isaiah. The Spirit led him to that man. The man comes to Christ. He goes back to Ethiopia. Ethiopia is the first Christian nation that we know of. Praise God. And we see it over and over and over throughout the book of Acts. The Spirit tells, send Paul and Barnabas. Go, send them out. He's leading them forth into this great work that God's prepared for them. And then we see the church of the epistles is a missionary church, right? We see that the church, the early church is a missionary church. Acts 
19.10 says, the whole providence of Asia heard the gospel. Well, that had a, how did that happen? It was because every believer, you and me, they began sharing it with their friends. They began sharing it with their families. They were joyfully filled with God, and everyone may know the gospel. 1 Corinthians 1.8, I think it's up here. This is a, the, uh, I'm sorry, 1 Thessalonians. This is the Thessalonian church, Thessalonica. And uh, he says, not, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Acacia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. Man, that's Paul. That's a missionary guy. Man, you're, the word of God is going forth through you everywhere. We don't even have to say anything. Paul brought the gospel there, planted it in their lives, and from their lives it just took off to others' lives. And that's what he does. That's what God does. That's the, that is the spirit of God in us, that God desires that everyone would hear the, the good news of Jesus Christ. And that just the way he promised that he would bring blessings through Abraham, that God has chosen each one of you, that through you he may bless other people's lives with the knowledge of Christ. This church, the early church, was a missionary church. And today it continues, right? We're in the middle of this story, men and women. That's cool, right? We're in the middle of this story. Over the, over the history of time, you know, the church has struggled sometimes with being more mission-focused and other times very mission-focused. But I'll tell you what, each one of you is sitting here today because someone, through their mouth or some other way, you heard the good news of Jesus Christ and God got a hold of your life. Maybe it was through a mother, maybe a father, maybe a friend. Maybe, it was just, maybe you just read the Bible, but thank God someone translated it in your language, that they gave their life up that you may have the Word of God. And every one of us are here because God is a missionary God and his word is spreading. And even 2,000 years later, on the other side of the planet, in this place, America, it's a nation full of people who believe in Jesus. And praise God that his word is spreading all over the place. I heard of a movement of 30,000 Muslims who've come to faith since 2009 in Indonesia. Praise God for that. He's doing great work. We get to be a part of it. We get to be a part of it. In Matthew 24, verse 14, Jesus says, when he's talking about the end of the world, he says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to the nations, and then the end will come. You say, when is the end going to come? Jesus says, well, the gospel must be proclaimed to all the nations as a testimony, and then the end will come. He planned that all would hear he desires for all to hear. You know, there's still about 3,000 people groups in the world that have never heard. They would be unreached, unengaged people groups of the world. People that don't have any Bible in their language. They don't have any church around them. They don't have any uh, Jesus film in their language. They have never heard. That 3,000 makes up millions and millions and millions of people. That's a lot of people. But God desires them to hear. He wants none to come, none to come to perish, but all to come to repentance. And if we fast forward, we get a glimpse of the future, right? That's where the world is today. But if we fast forward, we go from Genesis, we're just hitting right through the Old Testament and the New Testament and Acts and epistles and the church today. And then God gives us a glimpse to the future. If we look in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 and 10, we see that, that what the future holds. It's a pretty cool picture. 
He says, after this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Whew, amen, huh? That's where, you know, you're in that group. He saw you and I. All of us together, the multitude didn't know what he could count from the all nations, praising him, thanking him. Salvation belongs to you. You did it. God did it. He worked it. He, he crushed Satan's head. He worked salvation. He called his missionaries. He sent them. He's done it. I think that's awesome. And that we get to be a part of that work. We get to be in that. So why mission? Why mission? Why mission? I think the main reason is because our God is a missionary God. Our God is a missionary God. Our God wants every man, woman, and child to come to know him. Our God has laid his life down. He came in the person of Jesus Christ to die for our sins. For our sakes and the sake of the world. And he has called us to be his missionary people. He's called us to be his missionary people. We say we follow Jesus Christ. Do we follow him really? Jesus went to everyone he could think of to share the kingdom with them. Jesus loved the least. He loved the lost. He loved his enemies. He says if we follow him, you're going to do the same thing. You're going to pick up your cross. You're going to deny yourself. You're going to die to yourself for the sake of others that they may know Christ. Jesus died on the cross for our sakes. He says, if you're going to walk in my way, you're going to have to die to yourself for others' sakes. You're going to have to cross borders and boundaries and places that you aren't comfortable with, people that you might not know so that they may know. You're going to have to look maybe a fool in the eyes of others, but not in the eyes of God. He says, that's what it means to follow me. It costs him greatly to save us, and it costs us greatly to follow him. He demands our full allegiance as Lord, and he has a mission that he's called each one of us into. Will we respond? He calls, we respond. Response takes faith, it takes obedience, it takes courage. It takes courage to step into it. You know, we think about missions as going overseas, right? Man, all these people around this, the world need to hear Christ. We think about it. And some of you guys, I hope some of you will go overseas. But missions can be as simple as what the church has been talking about the last few weeks. Just going across the street, right? Going to your neighbor. Meeting someone that's different than you. Uh, God is bringing the nations actually to America, right? Praise God. Praise God for immigration. Praise God for refugees coming to America. Forget what the news says. Amen? Amen. Right? <laughs> We're tired of the news. Praise God for that. We're not going to them. He's bringing them to us. Catch it. Don't lose it, church. Man, the world could be reached. Befriend an international student. Wow, there's so many international students here. 
They don't know Americans. Befriend an international student. Befriend a refugee. I mean, refugees are coming. They don't know any Americans. Befriend someone, an immigrant, someone from Mexico, from Honduras. Befriend somebody for the sake of Christ. Who knows what God will do, right? In, in, in May, I'm going to get to go to Mexico because of someone we've befriended here in Austin whose mother came to know Christ and is the only believer in her small village of 400 people. And they've asked if we could go there to share Christ with their village. You can reach the world from here, from Austin, right? So who knows how God wants to, to, to use you? It doesn't mean just going overseas. It may be right in your backyard. But know this, God's Spirit has equipped you to share His good news with others. What else do you need? He said, I will be with you. You have a promise. What else do you need? I want to encourage you, be confident. Be confident that God is with you. He's our authority. He's our commander. What do we do? We just obey. Go make disciples. Okay, that's what my commander said to do. Go share the gospel. All right, that's what my commander said to do. Who's given me authority to do it? God's given me the authority to do it. God's given you the authority to do it. And he promised that he would be with you. He shows up like he showed up for Moses. He shows up. This last week, we went out sharing the gospel in a, in a community, a trailer park community. Now ah, we're scared to go do it. But God shows up. Woman opens the door. Oh, come on in. Come on in. We get to sit with her an hour and share about Christ. She's from Honduras. Her family's so broken and messed up, desperate for God. Desperate for God. Another woman we met, another woman from Honduras, right? I mean, you can imagine meeting two women from Honduras in the same little area. It's not common, right? But God's doing something, connecting people from Honduras. And we get to share with her and sit with her. And she said, I want to start a church in my, in my house so we can reach the community here. Man, praise God. There are people like that all over the place. We just got to go find them with, through God leading us. Have confidence. Respond. God's going to do great things for your life. He wants to. Let me close with Romans 10. And what I'm going to have you guys do at the end of the service is like what Tori did. I'm not going to have you do it right now. Maybe we can do it at the end of the service. Tori did last week, had you put something on your phone to remind you to pray. That helped me. I, I prayed for boldness this week because that was on my phone beeping. <laughs> at dinner time, beeping. I'm going to have you put this in your phone. We'll, we'll do it later. Romans 10. And it's going to help us to remember to pray for those who don't know Christ. Romans 10, 13 through 15, for everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good news that you've given us through Jesus. We thank you you've, you've saved us. And we thank you that you love this world. You love our communities. You love our families. You love our neighbors. You love the nations more than we can ever imagine that you would lay your life down on the cross for our sins, that we may be with you for all of eternity. And you say, Lord, how can they hear 
unless someone preaches it to them. How can they preach unless they're sent? But you said in John 20, as the Father sent me, I've sent you. Lord, you sent us. And I pray you give the well courage, Lord. Give us courage and faith. And we pray, Lord, that your good news would spread from this church through the city and spread from this church through the nations. People would proclaim Jesus as their Lord all through our communities, all the way back to China, all the way back to India, all the way back to Pakistan because of the work you do through this little church. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name.